Well, good morning, everyone. I hope that you all are, are well. It's good to see you all. Uh, last week, we, we finished our, um, our, our Summer in the Psalms series. We wrapped it up uh, for, for just this year. And, and soon, we'll be jumping back into Exodus, which we started um, way before the summer. Uh, and, uh, but now, like I told you last week, I told you that we were going to start a short mini-series on on deacons, and this series will be called the Diaconate. This morning as we begin, I want to do something a little unusual that, for me at least, is to have a, uh, an extended introduction to, the, to this series that we, are about to, uh, that we are about to jump into. So just as we, just so that we all start on the same page, I want to basically, on just a very foundational level, define deacon uh, that we will define later and more extensively. Uh, uh, but right now I want to just get us all on the, the same page in the same uh, playing field. Uh, and just in case, if, if you do not know what a deacon is or what deacon means. To deacon means to serve. And this is a this is a verb, and in the, the Bible, in the Greek, it's diaskaneo, which means to serve, to provide, to help, to bring, to deliver, to administer, to give, to minister, and all of these things. All of these things mean to deacon. Now, this series, in particular, is going to pertain more with the noun usage of, 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 of deacon, which also, which also can mean servant, so instead of to serve, which is a verb, servant meaning the noun, right? So servant, attendant, or minister, all of which are used and translated in the New Testament as so. In fact, 24 times it's used, trans, uh, it's, um, it's translated in those, time, in those ways, diaskonos, uh, right? 12 times, mostly you'll see it as, as servant. But then there are three times on top of the 24 where it's translated almost in a, uh, in a proper noun, as in, the, as in a, an official office of the church that we call deacons. You can capitalize it if you, if you want. Uh, and if this church is your only church experience, if this is the only church that you've ever been, had experience with, then you might need an explanation of what that is because as Sovereign Grace Church, at this point, we do not have deacons in the place of the office of deacons. Now, that may be confusing to you, as I'm sure it is and should be, but let me explain. When we began meeting as a, as a group of, of individuals in September of 2015, uh, Brother Richard, do the math, that was a while ago now. I can't believe it's been almost eight years that we began, we gathered together, we were united in our union with Christ, we had a shared experience at a, another local church, and in a sense, as a group, we, we, we became uh, spiritual refugees, if you want to put it that way. Um, we began to understand and see the, the possibility of planting a new church in in, in Statesboro, a Reformed and Baptist church, so something very distinct that Statesboro did not have uh, as a church. However, we didn't jump right into church planting and all of a sudden just call ourselves a, 
a church. And just because we were all Christians and we met together, and we did, we continued to gather on Wednesday nights and we continued to gather on, on, on Sunday mornings. And just because we, we, had a, we, we began to gather together and we, uh, and we had a right desire and we all had good intentions to do the, the right thing, that doesn't mean that we could biblically, uh, healthily-wise, call ourselves a church. For we didn't have formal church membership um, uh, nor did we have the authority of God's word through the ministry of the plurality of elders. So discerning men among us, we understood this, we talked about this, and we understood that there needed to be time of teaching, uh, time of healing as well, uh, and shepherding, right? Through the preaching, through the ministry of the word of God, the preaching of God's word, we knew that God's word would shape us. God's word would make us into the people that he would want us would want us to be. So for the next year or so, we began meeting in various places, uh, usually at the same times, and we endeavored to learn together from God's word. We preached very specifically, and I hope very clearly, on the office of, of elders and biblical church membership. Uh, we'll, um, we, we preached expositionally. It started with the, with the book of Ephesians that that glorious letter that would firmly root us in as a people, that we, would, that we would first and foremost find ourselves in our identity as this refugee group of people in Christ alone and nothing else. And God in his mercy, he stripped everything away from us, no buildings, none of that stuff, and we met as refugees, all right, we, call, we can call it that, at the Honey Bowen building, and we let God's word nurture us and teach us and shape us and make us into, make us into a people, right? A people that he created for his glory. The two massive important things we needed. We needed to grow up in, grow up in, in our understanding as the church. And our, even though we grew up in a church, that we'd still grow in our understanding of, of the church. Because we had a deficiency on what the church was and also the gospel. So I preached through Ephesians. I loved preaching through Ephesians. And somewhere toward the end of that, I believe around chapter 4, chapter 5, on October 30th, 2016, we officially covenanted as members of Sovereign Grace Church. And we took the communion together and we, um, we installed and ordained elders. And we had members. And they signed the covenant, the same covenant that you all have signed if you're a member. It's the covenant that we started and signed that day. It was a good day. I remember it fondly. That's why we call the last Sunday of the month Covenant Sunday. However, on that day, we did not install deacons. As elders, we understood, we understood the, New the New Testament. We understood that there are two offices that the New Testament clearly teaches. The church... Yet we also understood two massive realities. Number one, the church needed elders first. Paul told Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every town as he was directed, Titus 1.5. And there, there is the priority there. The priority, this principle of a priority that as a church, as an infant church, above all, we should have elders. And even as small as we were, we needed to have elders above all, and we understood that. 
the necessity of that, the practicality of that principle of uh, Titus 1.5 rang true. We also understood that, that we were small. We were small enough church that, that most of the official deaconing could, could take place and could happen through, through the elders, right? It is, this is a principle of, of deacons and elders that it's okay and it's good for elders to do the work of a deacon, but it's never okay for a deacon to do the work of an overseer. And we'll talk more about that as the weeks, uh, as the weeks go on. Um, also, that, uh, no one at that point had ever had been a member of a church, at least that I can remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, had, a, had any experience of being in a church that had a plurality of elders. It was always a, a single pastor and deacon-possessed church, right? So, so just had one or the other, but never been a part of a plurality of of elders, and so we needed to get that first and foremost understood, right? We needed to understand the practical, biblical elder work first as we begin to grow in the word. Uh, we also were a small congregation, and what we wanted was, as being that small, is that simplicity was the key. And to keep things simple, instead of installing deacons at the outset, we could can teach our uh, congregation to serve one another and grow in love together, just as Ephesians teaches you to do, right? So, so praise God. Uh, and, and also, uh, lastly, maybe this is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more personal and admitting, is that we all, we all just came out of a unbiblical church situation where we saw and we experienced the abuse of authority by deacons. Um, and, and maybe to my, to my shame, and I hate to put it this way, Maybe it was just me. I honestly needed a break from deacons. Um, we saw and we experienced what was unbiblical, and that doesn't make it right, but the truth of the matter was, as well, is the time wasn't right for us to install deacons. So when was the right time? When is the right time for deacons? Well, I believe the general rule, and I would think as soon as possible, when, when, it's, uh, when it's necessary. The office of deacon is given to the church to serve the church so that the elders could be free to serve the church in prayer and in teaching. Now for us, frankly, probably could have been a couple years ago, maybe should have been a couple, couple years ago. And in the last couple years, the last three years or so, we have certainly seen some growth in our, in our church membership. And as it began to grow, the blessings and joy of, of church membership and the growth of that, um, came a growing amount of needs among the, the congregation and as well as outside of the congregation. And when those needs begin to grow, that, that puts more pressure on the elders. And of course, that's our own fault in a sense because we didn't install elder or deacons. And as you all know, stuff doesn't get done on its own. Things don't happen on their own. Chairs don't get straightened by, on their own. Air conditionings don't get turned on. Fans don't get turned on. Doors don't get unlocked. Lord's Supper meals don't, don't just magically show up. Uh, tables don't get cleaned. Chairs don't get straightened. All of those things. Kitchens don't get cleaned. All of those things don't happen. The needs began to grow as the, as the church. Now, praise God. I, I, would, I would like to say, praise God, that as a, as a pastor here at Sovereign Grace Church, I want to tell you that this church is an absolute miracle of God. Amen. An absolute miracle. 
I have witnessed you all serve and do things for one another in ways that I have never seen in a church before. The, the paradigm is true in some ways that usually it's the same 20% or less that APSA has to do everything, and they're always exhausted. And yet for us, when something needs to be done, one of you just does it without being asked. Sometimes you, you, we're at, we ask and you still just do it. And that is a huge blessing to the elders. Yet in God's providence, we have come to a time in our life of our small congregation that we need, hear me, we need biblically qualified men to serve in the office of deacon. And I say biblically because as a church, we firmly stand upon the authority of God's word. The scriptures are our guiding light. And there is nothing else that guides us. There is nothing that gives us authority in these things. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is divinely inspired and it has been given to us and has been revealed to us by God for our profitability, for our profit, for our righteousness. And if God's word is divinely inspired and it is given to us and it is our sole authority in teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness, then and, and why? So that the man of God, the church, may be made complete. It's given to us to be made complete, to be equipped with every good work, for every good work, to do every good work for the glory of God. And if God's word is for that, like we want to apply that just to maybe just our spiritual things and matters, and absolutely the growth and discipline of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's word in continually teaching us to grow into the image of Christ. But it also is pertaining to the, the whole counsel of God's word, all of, of God's word. Then certainly, then what it teaches us and what it shows us about the organization, the structure, and the offices of the church, it is absolutely authoritative and profitable for us. For example, according to the scriptures, there are only two offices in the church. There are elders, pastors, overseers, bishops, all the same office, just given a different, different title to give insight of the job description. And second, there is the office of deacon, youth pastors, Children's ministers, ministers of music, are not biblical offices of the church. Now, I'm not saying that to be controversial. I'm not, trying, I'm not saying that to poke everyone else in the eye, because I honestly think that they could be useful in the church, but they are not the biblical offices of authority in Scripture. Scripture. 
or service. They are not. Also, nowhere will you find a bishop or an elder or deacon that extends its authority over a multitude of churches. There is no such hierarchy in the Bible. The Bible does not apply bishops as, as one who stands over a group of churches or elders. Historically speaking, when the church began to appoint bishops over certain locations, and I get the logic of why, to bring unity and theological clarity, I understand. But this is, this is when everything went haywire in the church, historically. This is when the church began to uh, really adopt some horrific theological beliefs. They also adopted terrible ecclesiology. And then it took over a thousand years before it began to become corrected. It all started out, listen, it all started out by just appointing one bishop over a group of churches. One bishop. And look where it has led to. It has led to, to the so-called Bishop of Rome, a pope, which is a totally unbiblical position and arguably a position that has caused more damage and destruction to the church of Jesus Christ than anything else ever. Beloved church, it is imperative that we submit to the word of God when we discuss the diaconate, the office of deacon from God's word. We must all submit ourselves under its authority. It might challenge your views. It's going to. It's going to challenge your views of deacons. It's going to challenge your views maybe on elders as well. But that's okay. God's word challenges us. And as Christians, what do we do? We submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. We change our views to God's views. To God's views of the Bible. God's word is what shapes us. We don't shape our understanding to the scriptures. It shapes us. Seven years ago, I said some of the same things when we started talking about elders. To a group of people who have never been members of a church, again, as far as I know, that had a plurality of elders and practiced biblical church membership. And what the Lord has given to us through that faithfulness. What has the Lord given to us? Well, I can tell you what he has given to me. He has given me peace. He's given me joy. He's given me love. He's given me the assurance of being a part of a church that desires to be biblical. And I hope that is the same for you. And I want to say one more thing as we turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Somewhat of a note to you. This church needs deacons. And, none, and, and any, nothing that we do over the next four weeks or five weeks will matter. None of this will matter. This will just be four more sermons, five more sermons, whatever it turns out to be, posted on our website, and nothing will matter. None of that will matter if you men do not see yourself as a potential 
deacon, and for that matter, even elder. Whether that be now or whether that be later, becoming a deacon at Sovereign Grace Church is what we need. It is as simple as that. Just as things don't happen on their own, deacons will not automatically show up on their own. The deacons that we need now, the Lord has already provided. You are already here, and you're already sitting here this morning. And as we go each week, I'm going to explain to you more and more what that means and what that's going to mean for our church and how it will look. But even now, I ask all of you to be praying, praying for them and praying for me as we lead in these days. And as we get started, we are going to set a baseline this morning of the diaconate of who serves the church. Let's look to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 26. That water's good. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let, let there only be two or at most three, and each in them, in turn, excuse me, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For, the, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, as in all churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So then, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, and errant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. 1 Corinthians is the severe letter of edification, correction, discipline, and encouragement, and even love to the church in the city of Corinth from the Apostle Paul. This church was planted in the heart of one of the most important trade routes in the ancient world. It thrived economically and culturally on its trade and commerce. It was busy. 
It was multicultural. It was religiously diverse. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul went to Corinth, he met Aquila and Priscilla, and there with them he made tents, and he preached the gospel in the synagogues. In Corinth is where Timothy and Silas would soon join him. Join him. Also in Corinth, one day when there was a great rejection of him in the synagogue, Paul turned to the Gentiles. He dusted his feet off and his hands, and he says, I'm done, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he preached to the Gentiles, and there many Corinthians became Christians, and they were baptized, and this was the beginning of the church in Corinth. It was in Corinth where the Lord had given Paul a vision one night and told him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to do harm to you. For I have many, many in this city who are my people. What an encouragement. And so he stayed there for another year and a half, preaching and teaching and discipling this church. Paul loved this church. But by the time that he wrote this, these letters, these two letters to the church, this church has lost its way. They doubted Paul as an apostle. They allowed it openly tolerated sin within their church. They abused the, the, the use of the Lord's Supper. They distorted and confused the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They blurred the lines of the gender roles in the church. They allowed the church gatherings to be chaotic and crazy. They even doubted the necessity of the resurrection of believers. That's pretty bad. They had, they had a Quite a few problems, to say the least. And yet, despite all of that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of the letter, greets them as the church of God. Those sanctified in Christ, called saints together with all the other churches. Right? And in that kind of calling, knowing because of the problems that they have, that gives us hope that we are saints, sanctified, but we too, we have a long way to go, and God's grace upon grace is sufficient as we go along. And however, it also shows that maybe we need to be corrected and taught by God's word as well. So from chapters 14, in the context of this disordered church, they had women usurping their roles of men. We see the chaos and, and disorder that was ex being expressed as the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were being exercised, right? The gifts of the tongues and prophesies, gifts that we understand that have ceased after the apostolic age because we have the revealed word of God and the Holy Spirit. So very plainly in the order and order, the order and organization of this church, as he says in verse 26, is to be what? He says to let all things be done for the building of one another up. All that we say, all that we do, every time we gather, whenever we are together, the goal in the end in mind is to bring about the building up of one another that comes through the ministry, the deaconing of God's word. And why? Verse 33, because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So we need, we bring order for the building of up of one another, because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. There is order within the church, within the body of Christ, because God is a God of order. 
He's not a God of chaos, right? We see his order in creation, don't we? In his laws of nature. All creation, all nature, all science, mathematics, all of these things, all of these things that come from the grand design of this gloriously wonderful creator shows us that there is an unbelievable, meticulous, specific, practical order to everything. And so he says, let there then be order in the church. Which then leads to the conclusion in verse 40, all things, all things should be done decently and in order. So the immediate context, again, yes, is the church gathering, right? That it's not supposed to be this chaotic scene of everyone speaking out of turn and saying whatever they, whatever comes to their heart kind of stuff. He says that it needs to be in order, that that needs to be corrected and in order. But the context also extends to the decent order of the church offices, but in all things. Now, as there should be order in these ways, let there also be order in the church. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy the same thing in that great letter of 1 Timothy. Right? We know 1 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about the elders and he talks about deacons, the qualifications of things. But before that, he was telling them to maintain pure doctrine in chapter 1. He was telling them about the centrality of prayer and worship in chapter 2. He was telling them about the proper role of men and women in church also in chapter 2. And then he got to the list of qualifications of the elders and deacons. But in chapter 3, right after that, he tells them the purpose of why he is revealing these things. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says he shows them how one ought to behave in the household of God. He's given us all of this so that we know how to behave in the house of God. So apparently, order is necessary and important within the church. So as we strive for order in these things, the question that I want to ask in starting this series on the diaconate is to ask this very simple question. Who serves the church? Who serves the church? Or if you want to put it with the series, who deacons the church? And I have three answers to that question. But today, with the remaining time that I have, I'm only going to give you the first two. And next week we will address the third one. Who serves the church? The first answer to that question is quite simple. I'll give you a hint. It's one that we already practice. And that is the church serves the church. And I know this series is on deacons and it's called the, the diaconate, but deaconing starts with the church. And to understand that answer, we first want to define the church. Jesus used the church, this word church, twice. And he recorded both times in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, chapter 18. He uses the word ecclesia, which has its root word kaleo, to call out. So ecclesia means this assembly, this group of people who have been called out. The church is a people who have been called out by God's grace, who regularly gather together, where there are members who practice the ordinances, and together, by God's grace, 
glorify him. There are many good things that the church does. Many good things that we do. But what defines us and what makes us a church is not what we do or what the church is supposed to do. But what defines us is what Christ has done. And that Christ has brought us together as a group in union with him. And since the cross, all that have been called out by Christ, all that have been trusted in him as their perfect representative is a part of the church. We are not made up of a people who, who by our own efforts, we're, we're making ourselves better. Or we're working together to be mentors, mentoring one another to be accountable, to make ourselves better. But rather, we are a group of people that know that we have been broken by sin, but we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior according to his grace and his mercy. So here, was, here what is said about the church in Romans 8, right? And, and we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, right? There's kaleo according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to what? To conform to the image of his son. He is, as, our church, as the church, he is conforming us into the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and that those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he also called, he justified. And those whom he called, he also glorified. The point of our election, the point of our calling and our justification, our sanctification and our glorification is that we would reflect the likeness of our Savior who has called us out of dark and in darkness and into marvelous light and has brought us up into the church corporately made up as individuals to reflect the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are being conformed into that image that we may display it now and forever. And so what then does that look like? Jesus showed us what that looks like. Jesus showed us what it looks like to be the church. He described it, what the kingdom of God looks like in, this, in the Beatitudes. He said, be peacemakers. Meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the word of God. To love your enemies, to forgive those who offend you and hurt you, to extend grace when grace is undeserved, because grace is never deserved. Mercy is never deserved. To love your enemies, to forgive those who offend and hurt you, and to serve one another. That is the church. This is this particular group of people that in our local context has been called together and we are called primarily as a people to deacon one another and as peter tells us our great example our savior jesus christ he served us first for the son of man did not come to be deaconed or to serve but to deacon to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many mark 10 45 and of course jesus is is not only the ex exemplified in the cross in doing this, absolutely, what a great example that is, but he also lived this out. He taught it in Luke 22. Jesus said to his disciples uh, in settling the argument, this, this stupid, foolish argument of who is the greatest. I mean, they're, they're sitting at the Lord's table, and they're arguing like we do sometimes, like who's the greatest, who's better? We're posting on all the little things that we can do. And Jesus settles it, and he says, but not with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Be the kid who sits at the kid's table. 
Be the, be the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Jesus is totally reversing the economy of what our minds and our hearts and our very thoughts of what we want us to be in, in everything. We want to be the best. We want to be the leader. We want to be in control. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is relinquishing all of that to serve someone else. To give it to someone else. He says, for who is greater? This is, a, this is obvious. Who's greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? You go to the restaurant, who's greater? The one who's paying or the one who's serving? The, the, to the world, it's the one who's reclining, the one who's sitting. He says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. What is Jesus saying? He says, I'm serving you. Are you greater than me? And that's the awkward drop your mic moment where everyone's like, oh, no. He says, the greatest, the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who deacon. Are who deacon. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what Jesus has done in the work of redemption is something none of us could ever accomplish. We absolutely agree with that. And sometimes it might be foolish to compare our meager means of serving one another to how Jesus has served us, but the motive of our serving, our deaconing one another, is because of the great grace we have received, the glorious salvation that compels us to to not be the greatest, to not be the dude sitting in the recliner, but to get out of the recliner and to deacon. That's what we're called to be. That's the greatest in the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And the example of the grace of God that Christ has extended to us and shown to us at the cross should compel and push all of us out of our seats to serve. In Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, what was her response? She deaconed. She deaconed Jesus and his disciples. She served them. Listen to this, John, Jesus from, from John 12, 26. He says, if anyone serves me, deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my deacon will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He's describing his followers as what? Servants, as deacons. And to, and to do, be deacons, we serve. And when we serve, we are serving Christ. And we serve Christ by serving one another in his church. I love all of the verses in the New Testament, the one another verses. Because they point directly at the interpersonal relationships of the church, right? Uh, in the church, that we are to submit to one another, to love, to forgive, to, to bear with one another, to, to not do harm to one another, etc. But they also speak of deaconing, to serving one another. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom. This is one of those amazing texts in Galatians. For, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You've been saved for freedom. We've been saved from something, but to something. Freedom. But only do not use your freedom for an opportunity to flesh. Just because we're free in Christ doesn't mean we give into our flesh, into our sin. But to do what? In our freedom, we are to do what? Serve one another. Through love, serve one another. 
not out of duty, not out of a drive-by guilting by one of my sermons, or this one in particular, but out of love, gospel freedom, true freedom, the marks of love that one church member has for another church member, for all the church members. This is how we show our love. We deacon one another. Here's another way. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, Galatians 6, verse 2, says, bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. That is, that's helping one another. That's being with one another. That's helping one another definitely being together spiritually and mentally. But also physically, isn't it? Are you moving? You got to pack some boxes, pack a truck? Call your brothers and sisters to help. You got a burden? Do you see some burdens? Jump in, help. Do you... Do you do you see or know that the Lord has given to you and gifted you so that you could serve and to lift and bear the burdens off of a brother or a sister who is in need? Those particular burdens that may be hindering them spiritually in their growth or hindering them even in their walk with Christ, that we are to bear one another's burdens? Has the Lord gifted you to pray for them? Are there needs within the fellowship to serve one another? Do you have the ability to help financial burdens that other brothers and sisters may have to serve them in those ways? To bear with them? 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I mean, that's basic. There's faith. I mean, you don't need to be, have your doctorate in ministry or anything to understand this. This is, this is practical. This is basic, very biblical way to serve one another. Have other church members in your home. Serve them in your home. Serve them by showing that, that your time is set valuable enough that you want them in your home. And that you'll serve them through the means of, of food to meet those needs, whatever it may be. Serve them in your home. 1 Peter 4, 10, again, as each of you receive the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Pray and rely on the Lord for the grace that he has given you, the gifts if needed to meet those needs. So first and foremost, brothers and sisters, the church deacons one another. We are all called to do so. And if the church, or if the office of deacon, as we build today, starting today, is built upon the foundation of a church that serves one another. And as I said earlier, we have seen that in so many ways. And I pray that you would continue. Then the deacons that we eventually, Lord willing, will install, they will see the church as an army at their disposal to eagerly complete any task and need or challenge that may come our way. Deacon one another. Who serves the church? Who deacons the church? The second answer to that question is maybe not as simple, but it's just as important and necessary, and that is the elders serve the church. And when I say elders of the church, I'm saying a plurality of elders, more than one man. Each church is to have more than one elder. Nowhere in scripture is the title elder used to describe singular leadership. It's always plural. 
Acts 11, verse 30, Acts 14, 21 through 23, Acts 15, 2, Acts 15, 4, Acts 15, 6, Acts 15, 22 through 23, so on and so forth. Titus 1, 5, James 5, 14, let the elders come and pray and lay hands on them. An elder is, as we looked at a few times already as a church from 1 Peter chapter 5, we remember that this is God's word teaching us and showing us how to be in order as a church, to do all things decently in order as according to God's word. So we look to scriptures and texts like 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a follow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Role number one, shepherd the flock. As the God among you, as flock is, that is among you, excuse me. Rule number two, exercise oversight, none under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being, rule number three, an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. Elders shepherd the flock, they care, they guide, they feed, they nurture, they exercise oversight, meaning they lead the church, and they also, they are not swayed by man, nor by serving for self-serving gain, but are, but are guided by God's word alone. Elders serve. This is the capacity by which elders serve. They, they deacon the church with eagerness and with joy not as tyrants, but with humility. They are an example. They are not the example. They are, an, they are a example because they serve under the authority of the good shepherd. Elders do this in serving by teaching, through instructing, through, instructing, through preaching, through overseeing the direction of the church, through equipping the church with the word of God so that they too would look and believe and behold and delight in Jesus Christ so that they will be able to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4.11. Elders are to be qualified men according to scripture, right? We understand that from 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus 3, and these are very clear. First, they are to have a desire and aspiration to be an elder. Second, they are to have a godly character. It is better to have a, a man with a godly character and not be the best teacher or preacher than a man who has massive moral flaws but is the best teacher and the most talented and has the correct theology. This isn't moral perfection. We understand that. If it was moral perfection, then only Jesus could be our elder. We understand that. Elders need grace as well and have received grace as well. But, but this man who's to serve as an elder is to display in, in, uh, an exemplary degree of Christ-likeness. Third, an elder is to, to be able to teach, which is distinguishing the qualification to a deacon. We'll talk more on that later. Fourth, an elder is to be leading their family well, and that matters, home life, marriage, parenting. These are the proving grounds of a man. Fifth, an elder is to be a man, specifically a man, right? God has created only male and female, and men are to be the elders of the church. The gender pronouns in the Bible are not only true and relevant and right, but they are obvious that God has only called men to serve and only men to serve as church elders. Teaching 
is an authoritative act in the life of the church, the whole church. And women are not to exercise authority over men in the teaching of the scripture in the church. God has created, we firmly believe this, and our world is so stupid. That's not in my thing, that's why I shouldn't have said it. I'm having regrets now. God has created male and female, period. But he created us equal in our essence and worth and value in the image of God. There are many ways. There are many ways historically we can speak the church that has devalued the essence and worth of women. That men have done that. And that's absolutely, utterly wrong. But we know that God has created male and female distinct yet equal in our essence and worth. We are both created in the image of God. We never want to belittle that. And yet to think that, if, that, that women should be teaching and overseeing in the church is to usurp what God has created and said is good. God has given different yet complementary roles to be lived out in the home and in the church. And so again, if we want to be biblical, then we submit to God's word as our only authority and we trust it as good. And brothers and sisters, when we do so, there will be flourishing. Women, when you submit to that, there will be flourishing. You will find flourishing. Men, same thing. And lastly, an elder is to be a mature believer. And very close, very close to the second qualification, right, of being above reproach. You must not be a new convert or a new Christian. And if these are the qualifications of a biblical elder, then, then an elder is not simply just an older, by age, man. Elder doesn't refer to the age of a man, but it refers to the maturity of a man, no matter his age. An elder is not simply a successful businessman. Leadership in the church fundamentally looks different than leadership in business. We are not a Nonprofit business. We are the body of Christ. So how the church is to be managed and, and grown and strengthened is, is very different than, than the rest of the world or a business or a nonprofit business. We are weirdos. We do things differently. We do things according to God's word. An elder is not simply a, a good old boy. And just because someone is well-known or influential or affluential doesn't mean they are qualified to be an elder. We understand that that's how the world works, isn't it? That you get places and go places because you're somebody, or you've done something, or somebody knows you, or you're popular, or you're this or that, whatever it may be, but that's not the church. That's not the church. And lastly, we also see that an elder is not simply, the eldership is not simply for the well-educated or even seminary trained. Church culture has created that idea, and the, that the only ones who are qualified to teach in any biblical way or any, with any kind of biblical authority are those who are seminary trained or well-educated or just called 
the experts. Biblically, that is just not the case. You don't see that there. You see maturity. You see able to, to teach. You, you see spiritually mature. You see competent in the, in the scriptures. And, and to require such, to require such standards would hurt the church and miss out on good qualified men to serve the church with the word of God. Not to mention it would hurt the men who are qualified who could never attain seminary training status. I know you're probably wondering, why in the world are we talking about elders so much? Well, the answer to that is the priority of biblical qualified elders as a distinct office of the church, as exercising its authority over the church, is deaconing the church, is servicing the church. In Acts chapter 6, we're not going to read it today, maybe next week, there's this proto-event that takes place in Acts chapter 6, this proto-event in the church that leads to the establishment of the office of deacon. Essentially, there is a need that arises in the church. Conflict is about to break out in this new church, this, this young church. And the 12 apostles are called upon to, to solve this particular problem. And the apostles, the, the solving of the problem to meet these particular needs that were, that were there in the uh, our, uh, accusations that were being made, these 12 apostles said, appoint qualified men, appoint seven qualified men to meet the needs of the church. Seven qualified men to meet the needs of the church. And this is what they said. They said, this is actually verse 2. It says, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Right? This is them saying that. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they're not saying, this is what they're not saying. They're not saying that serving tables is beneath them. We are not saying as elders that serving tables and cleaning tables and doing dishes and all of those things are beneath us. We have done those things and many more. Right? We're, we're, we're not saying, we're not saying we are too good to serve in those ways. As they are not saying that they are too good to serve in those ways. No, what they are saying is that we as apostles, and we are saying as elders, is that we should serve you the word of God and to take themselves from that role in serving you of the word of God and to do anything else would not be healthy for the church. Because first and foremost, the priority of the church is the preaching and teaching of the word of God. The elders, our role, if this fails right here, it is our fault. It is our fault. And I pray that we never fail. And then if we fail, then it's your fault. Because as members, you're to hold us accountable. To not let us spew heretical garbage. And I say that in love. I know my tone is totally different, but I love you in saying that. And I love this church in saying that. I want the generations of my children to grow up in a faithful church and sovereign grace if they're here. As I want your children and your grandchildren. I want Hudson to hear it. And whatever Matt and Amelia's baby's name is going to be. No one knows. We want them to hear the gospel through faithful preaching right here. And to take ourselves away from any of those things. We are, we are, yes, we can do it. But God has given, the, has given elder or deacons to serve in those ways. The elders best deacon the church when they elder. 
when they pastor, when they oversee the church through prayer and teaching and leading and oversight of the church. I'm sorry this has been so long. But how do we have order in the church? We trust in the word of God and we submit to its authority in all things, including the establishment of the two offices of the church. And how do we deacon one another? You might ask, how do we deacon one another? Where is the gospel in this sermon? Well, I'll tell you, it's all over it. Jesus is our example. He is the one who, who came to serve and not be served. He came as a, to deacon and not to deacon. He came to be deacon, to deacon. And we deacon one another, brothers and sisters, because Christ has deaconed us. Not to be deaconed in, in response. Elders deacon the church by shepherding them in God's word. Because, listen to this as we close. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God, the God. And that word became flesh. And it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of his only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.